So this morning we've got three short readings. So we're going to start off in Genesis chapter 1, verse 28. Genesis chapter 1, verse 28. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over everything living that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant-yielding seed that is on the face of the earth, and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. Then if we just turn over the page to chapter three, and we're going to read from verse 17. And to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread, till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you are dust and to dust you shall return. And then finally we turn over to Proverbs and chapter 6. And we're going to read from verse 6. Go to the ant, O sluggard, consider her ways and be wise. Without having any chief, officer or ruler, she prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. How long will you lie there, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber, and want like an armed man. Let's pray before I preach. Let's all pray together. Father, we thank you for an opportunity to hear from your word. Uh, We pray that you will speak to us. Uh, We don't just want to hear a man speaking. We want to hear you speak through him, by your spirit, and we pray that it will do us good and bring you glory. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So I wonder what reaction do you have when you think about the subject of work? That's the subject for this morning. The slide will come up. Work. Or if you're younger, what do you... What comes into your mind when you think about studying? Maybe some of you are at school or at college. What do you think of when you think of work or study? Does the thought of work or study have you staying in bed longer in the morning with a sense of dread or disinterest? Or does the thought of work or study have you staying up out of bed longer at the end of the day? Over-interested 
are able to put it down. Work. Is it good or is it bad? Well, this morning we're going to think of a bit of a theology of work. What does the Bible say? What does God say about work? Now, asking whether it's better to overwork or underwork is a bit like asking whether it's better to be overweight or underweight. This is a wrong question, isn't it? Both are harmful. What we need is a balanced diet and a balanced work-life arrangement. So that's what we're going to be looking at. How do we do work, but flourish in work, without work becoming harmful? I've got two main points and some sub-points in between. So the first thing is this. Number one, work is good. Work is good, so don't under work. God says work is good. There's a very positive view of work in the Bible, especially in the book of Proverbs. That's why we had that reading just now about the the positiveness of work and the negativeness of laziness. Go to the ant, you sluggard. Consider its ways and be wise. It has no commander, no overseer or ruler, yet it stores its provisions in summer and gathers its food at harvest. How long will you lie there, you sluggard? When will you get up from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come on you like a thief and scarcity like an armed man. I don't know if you remember the old O2 adverts that are a while ago now. The old two adverts said, be more dog. Do you remember those adverts? Be more dog. Well, the Bible says, be more ant. Be more ant. So all of us need to be more like the ant that doesn't have an external controller, but has within it the motivation to work. It gets on and does that work from its own inner motivation. And we're called to be more ant. Working is good. God wants us to be productive people. Be inwardly motivated. And the Bible is not just positive about work in that sense of hard labour or just getting food on the table kind of work. No, it's positive about good work done well, creative work, glorious work, high quality work, work done for the beauty and the goodness of what's produced, not simply survival. Later on in Proverbs, we read chapter 22, do you see someone skilled in their work? They will serve before kings. They will not serve before officials of low rank. If you're working, be, be, be someone who wants to do good work and do it well, not just survival. Perhaps the, the most obvious place we see this in the Bible is when we read about how the tabernacle was to be put together. Just imagine if you and I were advising Moses in the, in the, in the desert. We've got to get this tabernacle built, and it's got to be portable. We've got to pick it up, pack it up, take it on for years. Maybe we'd say, well, B&Q, scaffolding, something simple, functional, you know, nothing too ornate. This is just a functional building. But what do we read? We read that Moses said to the people of Israel, See, the Lord has called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah, and has filled him with the Spirit of God, with skill, with intelligence, with knowledge, 
and with all craftsmanship to devise artistic designs, to work in gold and silver and bronze, in cutting stones for setting and in carving wood for work is for work in every skilled craft. And he's inspired him to teach both him and Hylab, the son of Ashimah of the tribe of Dan. Beauty in work, craftsmanship, quality. These are the things that God calls us to do in our work. So it's not just functional slapdash work, it's quality work. So I want to encourage you that work is good. So do good work and be a master at what you do. Don't cut corners. Make something beautiful. Make something that is well crafted. And that's what we should expect, isn't it? If we have been made in the image of a God who is the master craftsman. Just think about the world in which we live. How amazing it is in its design and its beauty and its variety. The world is amazing, isn't it? There's a new planet Earth coming out, I believe. We watch them and we're amazed at just the, the design and the skill. And we are made in his image. We are to be workers like him. God said to them, God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Verse 15 of chapter 2, the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. That's sometimes called the creation mandate. All of us here are made in the image of God to work like he does, creatively, with great variety and beauty. We are co-workers with God. That's an amazingly honoured thing today, isn't it? All of us are called to share and to study to enable ourselves to work like God. So that means we need to be very careful not to have this sacred-secular divide in our minds. Sometimes preachers can be very guilty of this, that gospel work is what matters, and you lot, you just pay for me. Well, no, that's, that's not biblical at all. That's just not true. Every good endeavour, everything you do matters to God. Wherever you're working... The sacred-secular divide is false and we need to throw it away. So, whether you're paid directly for your work or not doesn't matter to God. Some of you work in the home. Well, let's just think, does that matter? Well, you can get paid in a hotel for cleaning. You can get paid in a restaurant for giving food. What you're doing is valuable even if you're not paid directly. So we need, to, we need to get rid of this paid-unpaid divide, secular-sacred divide. All work, if I can appropriate that term, all work matters. Your work matters. I guess none of you work for a Class A drugs cartel. I can be confident that what you do is good. I want you to have a positive view in your mind about work Paid, unpaid, homework, voluntary, uh, whatever it is, you are a worker, a productive person, playing your part in God's grand cultural mandate. 
It wasn't just gardening. It was about developing. It was about creating, about imagining, about building. And I want you to have that positive view that work is good. This is what Martin Luther wrote during the Protestant Reformation. The works of monks and priests, however holy and arduous that may be, does not differ one whit, one little bit, in the sight of God from the works of the rustic labourer in the field or the woman going about her household tasks. But that all works are measured before God by faith alone. So when you're studying at home, whether you're studying in college or whether you're working, wherever you are, that matters to God and you can do something positive in your work. Manual work, mind work, art and music work, science and engineering work, care work, people work, systems work, admin work, even church work. All matters to God. Maybe you feel, well, my work is not seen, it's small, it's insignificant. God sees it and God values it and God calls you to plod on in your work. So we were made by a worker God to work in his image. Work is good. But, and you probably thought, there's got to be a but. There's a but. Work is now hard. Work is now hard. But work, work is good, but work is now hard. Now, I don't know if you've ever taken a flight from New York to London. It takes about seven hours. Okay? Flight from New York to London takes seven hours. But if you fly back, how long does it take? Eight hours and 15 minutes. Which is a bit odd, isn't it? Because exactly the same route to fly from New York to London and to fly back exactly the same way takes an extra hour and a quarter. Why is that? Do you know why? It's called the Atlantic jet stream. There's this strong wind that blows eastward all the time, way up high, and flying into it is much harder. And so it takes an hour and a quarter longer. Most of you know that if you've gone uh, over that side of the pond. So it's harder. Well, when you think of work now, we are flying into the jet stream. We are working in the context of a fallen world. That's why we read about the fall of man and the consequences of that rebellion. So your work is into the wind. It's hard, yeah? It's good, but it's hard because of the fall. Adam said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Because of that, cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread. Do you see? That's the headwind. That's the opposition that you face when you do your work. The sweat of your face, the thorns and the thistles, the curse that God has put because of our sin. So when you're thinking, hey, he's really positive about work, but you don't know what it's like. I do, and I'm telling you it's because of the fall. Work is not bad. The fall has made work 
hard. And I want you to think about three things, three areas because of the fall. So firstly then, work is good, but creation itself has been cursed. We saw that, didn't we, uh, a moment ago. Some of you may have lived in parts of the world where you see it very clearly how the climate is so hard to grow things in. Food production is difficult. Soil quality is low. Basic survival is hard. Yeah, that's, that's, a, that's an effect of the curse on God's good creation. Maybe you look in the hospitals and you see the effects on people's health, sickness, old age. Some of you battling that weakness, the, 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 the curse effects in our bodies. Makes work hard, doesn't it? We're limited. That's, that's because of the curse, remember. Some years ago, I remember being involved in an engineering project and we were to design a nuclear waste uh, building in Scotland. Well, that was a big challenge. But it also had to withstand the threat of an earthquake and it had to withstand the threat of flooding. And you think, man, it was hard enough anyway, but now these one in a whatever uh, consequence, how do you build things for that condition with the same budget? Yeah, is that, is that your day-to-day? You know, the, the effects of the world just make work hard. But remember, work is good. It's just that we're now opposed even by the creation in what we are doing. So that's the first thing. Creation itself has been cursed. But secondly, work is hard now because we are sinners. We are sinners. Just think how much extra work is needed because of sin in our world. Just think how less productive life is. All the office politics that we have to navigate through to get a decision made. All the poor performance in workers that aren't working. How much more could we do if we were all working? It's hard, isn't it? All the rivalry, the conflict. Ah, that's the effect of sin on the world of work. Just think if you're that decorator and you go the extra mile to do that quality job and you paint the school hall and it looks great and then you come back a few weeks later and there's graffiti all over it. Ah! Is that your, is that your experience? Or maybe you're the accountant and you work hard to solve, to get the books balanced and you get it all looking right and then you find out that the boss has been embezzling the money. You know, ah, oh. or you're the teacher. You stay up late. You're going to do a good job marking every paper, making a comment on each page, and you just see the, the children just toss the book to the side. It's interested. Maybe you think the senior management aren't really on your side. Is that is that your experience? That that that's the effect of sin, isn't it? Working against your good endeavour and opposing your good work. Just think how many work, how many jobs in the world only exist because of sin. I used to be a prison chaplain. Sometimes I'd stand on the, one of the balconies and just think, man, how much money is being spent here in these prisons? Keeping these men safe from their own uh, danger. Seeing the prison officers and their thankless task, trying to keep the place safe. 
Maybe you work in the police or you work in the armed services. That's because of sin. Wouldn't be needed, would they? We wouldn't need any police or armed forces or security. I'm seeing Andrew there. We wouldn't need lawyers. Wow. Think of how many people are working, really, just because the world is full of sinners. Think how much GDP is being wasted. Think what we could, we could have got to, maybe got to Saturn or, or, or Mars or somewhere, you know, we'll spend all our money trying to just the headwind of sin. And I know for some of you that's your experience. And it's hard, isn't it? Creation has been cursed and we're sinners. And thirdly, we are weak. We are weak. Sometimes we just get things wrong. Not because we've designed it that way, but we just do. I can remember some years ago going to a conference in the States and I turned to my co-worker and said, where's the memory stick for the presentation? You remember memory sticks? I'm an old guy. I remember the memory sticks. And he said, I left it on the desk. And I'm thinking, oh, right, okay, so that's back in Bristol. Am I going to better get that? Oh, no. Go back to my hotel, rewrite the presentation. You know, he, he just forgot. How many times have I forgotten something that my colleagues were expected of me? How many times have I got the wires crossed? How many times have I promised to do something and just not been able to deliver? I'll get that done. I'll send the email. It's really frustrating, isn't it? You work with me. You have to put up with the fact that I forget things. Yeah. And then sometimes it can be really, really crucial, can't it? I just did not send the email affirming the order. <laughs> oh, dear. And then, whoa, we're late. Yeah. Is that your world? Must be some of your world. Maybe up in Whittlesea, it's all wonderful in the fens. But down in London, I tell you, wow. Creation has been cursed. And we are sinners. And we are weak. But I want you to remember my earlier point that work is good, but it's hard because of the fall. And so when you think of your work, I want you to think this. What would it be like if I didn't do my little bit? How much, how much worse would it be for those people that I serve? How much less organised would the office be if I didn't go and do the filing? How, how, how much further behind would these kids be with their development and understanding of the world? Yeah, think of that. Think of what if I just gave up and said, oh, I'm going to just be, I'm going to be no ant at all. I'm just going to be the lazy. No, your little bit makes a difference in a little way. And if we all do our little bits, we can make a bit of a bigger difference as we factor in the headwind of the fall. So, number one, big point. Work is good, paid, unpaid, voluntary, whatever. Whatever you do, it's good, but it's hard because of the fall. Number two, work is not God. So don't overwork. Work is good, so don't underwork, but work is not God. So don't overwork. Maybe you know of Descartes' dictum, uh, I think, therefore I am. Well, uh, a spin-off to that today is, I work, therefore I am. But Proverbs and the rest of the scripture teach us to be very, very, very nervous of that dangerous sin of finding our identity, uh, making God 
of work. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, the Proverbs say. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your straight, straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Honour the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with vine. See, with wine. Even Christians can make an idol out of their work. And our culture, particularly Western culture, is very good at making idols out of work. So the real danger for all of us that work can become an idol, even church work. I work much in my role now with pastors. You can make church work into an idol, an identity found in what you're doing rather than the God whom you're serving. Proverbs says, keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flows the springs of life. Keep your heart from with all diligent vigilance. Sorry. So work will deeply disappoint you if you place it too high in your thinking. Work is good, but we work to serve God, not serve work as a God. Sadly, workaholism is a real danger, even amongst Christians. So I want you to love your work. I want you to love your studies. I want you to do good work, quality work, but love God more than your work and your studies. So love your work, but love God more. And love your neighbour more and see that all your work is for them, to serve and better them. Now, I guess most of you here, if you're Christians, you'll agree that there is only one God. And that all the idols are worthless. But if you're anything like me, it can creep up on you. And you're not aware of how you're making an idol of your work. So three things to look out for here, three sub-points on this. Be careful when work status becomes your identity. And this happened to me nearly 20 years ago, and I still am shocked, really, that I didn't see it. 20 years ago, uh, I came to a point where I was going to resign my job. Everyone agreed I was going to do it? Okay, I'm going to resign my job, doing something else. But when I came to actually send the email to the HR, I just couldn't do it. (laughs) I kept faffing around with the wording, and why can't I send this email? And I walked around the block and I realised I'm giving up too much. You see, at that time, I was a senior lecturer at the University of Bristol. It had become my life, my identity. It's who I was. And I was about to give that up to train to become a Baptist pastor. A what? A Baptist pastor? And I, it dawned on me, I, I, this is me. This is who I am. And the thought of not being that was like chopping off my head. Losing my credibility, my status. Wow. If you'd have said to me that morning, Andrew, you're an idolater, I'd have given you a slap. How dare you? There's only one God. But you'd have been absolutely right. I was an idolater, loving the identity, the kudos, the security of that job more than I was loving the God who I said I served. 
be careful not to allow your role, your work, to become your identity such that the thought of giving it up or losing it feels like the end of your life. What about retirement for some of you? Is that the end of who you are? When you start a conversation with somebody, do, do you want to steer the conversation so they ask you what you do? That's a telltale sign. Because you want to tell them just how, you know, hey. I used to do that a lot. Yeah? I used to want people to know what I'd achieved. Became an idol. I want you to be able to love your work, but to hold it in an open hand. And if the Lord chooses to take it away, that's his prerogative, isn't it? When you're studying, you're, what you're aiming to do, you hold it out, I want to do this, but the Lord turns me away, that's his choice. Don't grip it so hard that it becomes an idol, that it becomes your identity. So firstly, be careful that your work status doesn't become your identity. Secondly, be careful if you fail to rest. If you fail to rest. You see, workaholism grips people because when work is God, that God never rests. There's always more work to do, isn't there? You know that. There's always something else that someone will ask you to do. That God works 24-7. The God, the idol of work. But you and I have been created by the God who rests. And he commands you to rest. Imagine having a boss that commands you to rest. You must rest. That's who our boss is. It's amazing, isn't it? He, he knows that we need to rest and he says, I rest. That's why we read that scripture, that God rested from the end of his creative work as a pattern for us to follow. Of course, he doesn't get exhausted like we do, but he wants us to learn that it rest is good and rest is needed. And rest teaches you something very profound, that you're not omnipotent and omniscient and that somebody else can get on with that work when you're not there. That's a really humbling but important thing. You know, I I used to think, you know, if if I rest, man, the whole thing stops. I'm running the show. No, you're not. No, you're not. Or if you are, something's very, very wrong, toxic in your work environment. Can you rest? Do you rest regularly? God gives you a day so that you can just put the tools down, switch the device off, and have a rest. Turn your mind to other things. God has got it covered. Enjoy time with your family, your church family together. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and then rest. It's not easy, is it? It's not easy. It needs discipline. It needs the moral support of others. But prolonged failure to rest is a sign that work has become your God. So I just wonder today, what are you planning after you leave here? Will you be creeping back into the office to do a bit more prep for next week? Or will you say, okay, I can leave it. I can leave it. 
I know sometimes, you know, things do need to get, I'm not saying you can't work at times when there's a really important thing to do, but is that your pattern, to be back doing more? Or can you just say, I'll leave it? Are you willing to trust your future? Particularly you students, how you study usually becomes how you work. So do you, do you take a break from your studies? Or are you thinking, no, I've got to keep working, got to keep working, got to get that grade? I remember when I was an undergraduate being told by my tutor, if you don't work Sundays, you won't get a first-class degree. I said, okay. I'd just become a Christian. I thought, okay. That was quite a sacrifice, wasn't it? The Lord honoured me, and I did get a first-class degree. You can get a first-class degree and not work every every day of of the week. But it's a discipline to be willing to say, no, I'm not going to let that take over. And I'm, yeah, if need be, I won't get that job. If need be, I won't get that promotion. But there are more things in my life than just this particular aspect. It's hard, isn't it? And We need to be together, encouraging and supporting, helping each other with that healthy work ethic. So work is good. Work is not God. Watch out if it becomes your identity. Watch out if you're failing to rest. And lastly, watch out if you find the ends are justifying the means. Proverbs 11, the wicked man earns deceptive wages. Proverbs 14, he who oppresses the poor shows contempt for their maker. Watch out if you're finding that you're cutting corners because you so want to succeed. Are you willing to take action that will gain promotion at the expense of others? Sharp practice. Are you willing to be part of that culture that squeezes your suppliers, squeezes your customers, maximises your profit? Or are you going to stand for justice? Say, no, I'm not up for that. I want to honour other people. It's not just about us getting further money and status. Do you turn a blind eye because you know, well, actually, I might get a pay rise because of the profitability? Be careful when the ends justify the means and you're willing to go along with the culture that says it's all about profit, it's all about status. And that's hard, isn't it? When you're a small fish in a big pond, you work for a big multinational, but are you willing to stand up for justice in your workplace? Call out sin for what it is, with wisdom. If you're not, be careful It could be that work has become an idol. So I want you to see today that work is good. All of us should be thankful for the opportunities we have to work. But it's hard because of the fall, and the danger then is that it becomes an idol and we overwork. Are you a Christian? If you're a Christian, there's a liberating truth that you need to know. There's work that's been done for you that liberates you, the work of your saviour on the cross. That work enables you to have a healthy view of your work. Jesus died to save you, to rescue you from the tyranny and the monotony and the oppression and the dangers of a bad idea of work. You can rest in Jesus. And you can say no because Jesus 
will be with you. But I also want you, Christian, to think tomorrow morning when the alarm goes off and you're thinking, yeah, all right. I want you to think ahead, not just to the end of the week, end of the month, end of the year, end of the life. I want you to think to the new heaven, the new earth. Think that far ahead. In your mind, think what is coming to me one day when Jesus comes again and rebuilds the whole cosmos. Do you know what's coming? That creation mandate without any headwind, any trouble, any idol factories, they'll all have been demolished, any weakness, any sadness, any idols, and you will be fulfilled to your potential to work creatively in the new creation. And what you're doing won't have all the frustrations and limitations that it has at the moment. Isn't that an amazing vision of what's ahead of you? You, Christian brother or sister, will work one day without any frustration, with all creativity and skill and beauty, and you'll do that, and your father will say, well done, well done, and you will see the fruit of your work. So be filled with gratitude that Jesus has done work for you to save you from the tyranny of this life. But also look ahead and remember what he is promising to fulfill. And then get up, (laughs) have a shower, and do your day's work for the glory of God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are a God who creates and works, and you've made us in your image to be like you in this great cultural mandate. Help us to see the goodness of work, acknowledge the hardness of work, and avoid the dangers that are all around. Thank you, Lord Jesus Christ, that you've done the work, the supreme work in rescuing us and dying for our sins, liberating us from the slavery that is all around us. Oh, Father, please help us to do our work well. And we pray particularly for those of us in hard work situations, those of us without work, those of us in work that is hard because of the uh, oppression, the injustice, uh, maybe of of uh, of our employers. Oh, Lord, help us to do that still with joy, looking to you and receiving strength uh, from you day by day. We ask it all then in Jesus' name.